Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are... I'm just so grateful for this church. I'm thankful for uh, sausage and eggs and biscuits and grits. Thankful for those who cook them. I'm thankful for uh, laughter and uh, friendship that, that is um, centering and helpful. I thank you, Lord, for your word. and We pray, God, as we turn to uh, parts that we might not have read or might not have read in a while, um, that you would... That you would open them to us and show us by your spirit the relevance uh, to our own lives and give us the courage uh, to continue to look there. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so last week we decided to take a little uh, bit of a detour. Uh, we talked about started talking about the major prophets and instead of going Isaiah and Jeremiah last week, we just did Isaiah. Today is Jeremiah and Daniel. And then uh, the tamer parts of Daniel. And then next week we'll do the minor prophets looking at Jonah and Malachi, but not all the other. Um, last week I did also say that if um, that there are, you, it's important to know when they're talking. And so I made a little graph. If you're interested in that graph to know who's talking uh, when, what prophets are, are uh, talking to who, that'd be great. So I'll pass these out. I'm gonna give the, you just hand those right there. And when you're done, just uh, we'll, you can just pass them around. And I got about 25 copies, thinking that not everybody was super excited at looking at my Excel graph about it, but but there may be some. All right. So what we said last week is that prophets are God's appointed spokespersons, spokesmen. Uh, there were there were not, to my knowledge, any any female prophets, um, but God's appointed spokesmen. Um, false prophets, both I would say then and today, honestly, were people who claimed to speak for God and yet spoke their own mind. So they, what they were saying was, was God's will, and that was a, um, but it was not. That's false prophets. Remember what we said about major prophets? That's, that is not importance, that is, um, that is volume. So Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, major prophets. Daniel is, for all intents and purposes, is a major prophet. He has 12 chapters. Hosea has 14. Hosea is a minor prophet. But Hosea, uh, the volume in Daniel is much greater. And you sometimes uh, in, in, um, in history, they've considered Daniel a, uh, a writing and not a major. But it, for, our, for our purposes, he's a, he's a major prophet. So, uh, and we said you need to know uh, what's going on around the prophet uh, to understand what a prophet's saying. And a good study Bible, like the ESV study Bible, uh, is a valuable resource. I am not sponsored by ESV study Bible. I get no profits, um, uh, no cuts of their, or their revenue. Actually, a couple of you went out and bought an ESV study Bible this week. Praise God. All right. Um, so Jeremiah, let me tell you about Jeremiah. He was called to be a prophet when he was very young. If you were following along... Um, in the E100, in fact, if you would like to follow along the E100 book and you don't have one, I'll be happy to get one for you after the class. I've got three left. Um, but Jeremiah was uh, a prophet, and he was, um, he was called when he was very young, and he was called during the reign of Josiah. Now, if you know your biblical history, if you don't know your biblical history, read the book of Kings. Okay, this is uh, 1 Kings and 2 Kings. But if... Um, King Josiah, uh, as you may know, was also very young when he was made a king. I think he was seven years old. That was in 640 B.C. And he was the last faithful king of Judah. 
So you may remember that there were most of the kings were unfaithful, right? So you had David and Solomon, and Solomon was kind of iffy uh, towards the end of his life and his faithfulness, and it went downhill from there. And every now and then you had a, a king who was faithful. Josiah, Josiah was the last one. And part of Josiah's legacy, in fact, I think his major legacy, was, it, was that he made sweeping religious reform. Uh, they found, this kind of tells you the state they were in, they didn't have the book of Deuteronomy, they found it uh, during his reign, it's sort of <laughs> hidden up on a shelf in, a, in the temple somewhere. They dusted it off and he said, oh my gosh, we've got to get our act together. And so he instituted these sweeping religious reforms and, and um, cut down all the Asherah poles and all this stuff all around. Um, so here's what was happening during Josiah's reign, which is when, about when Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. I thought it would be more helpful than me just waving my arms around to actually kind of write it up here. If you can see, we've got Egypt down here, Israel, Assyria was the major superpower. It's up here. Babylon is growing in its dominance. Babylon starts kind of skirmishing, making a noise into uh, Assyria. In Egypt, it says, we got to get a part of this action. And they, so they, they are going to go attack Assyria as well. Problem is, Israel's in the way. So they're coming through Israel to get to Assyria, and Josiah leads his troops out to battle, and Josiah dies in the battle. Assyria and Egypt end up having a, um, an alliance to try to go against Babylon, but Babylon conquers them. And, and the king of Babylon was Nebuchadnezzar. He's a famous king. And uh, you probably have heard before, um, heard of Nebuchadnezzar before. Really crazy stories about uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But he was very involved in God's plan during that time. So Josiah dies in battle against Egypt. Egypt comes on through. And the result for Israel was a succession of puppet kings. So first, um, Jehoiachin. I th- I'll make it some of these wrong. But Jehoiachin, uh, he was... Uh, as, um, Josiah's son, and then they kicked him out, and uh, Jehoiakim came in, and I'm not exactly sure. I could have written it all down, but I didn't want to spend that time. Anyway, they were allied with um, Egypt, and then they flipped on Egypt to Assyria. Then they had a, and then Assyria got taken out, and and Babylon came in. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and puts a siege on uh, Jerusalem. And finally, uh, they, Jerusalem falls, and they cart him off in exile. All right? That's what's going on uh, around. Exile is when they, you know, they pick up all of the Israelites, or at least the prominent Israelites, all the leadership, and they send them back. What's left there is sort of this, uh, this again, puppet um, monarchy made up mostly of peasants, uh, non-prominent uh, folks. So, um, good opportunity for them, but, um, but the society was uh, in disarray, which was the whole point. Uh, so, they weren't, when they carted them off to Babylon, they're not just prisoners uh, in dungeons. They actually are assimilating them into Babylonian culture. They want to make Babylonians out of them. So, they're you know, letting them go to the theater and they're letting them be a part of government and all this stuff, but they have to worship their gods. And, so, it's kind of, kind of a deal. So, Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah is really... Um, lamenting these losses. It was political, social, financial, moral, spiritual decay after Josiah died. And um, 
and the exile happened within 20 years after Josiah's death. Jeremiah lamented these losses. He's often called the weeping prophet. In fact, he also wrote the book of Lamentations. If you've read Lamentations, um, that it wouldn't be considered prophecy. It's uh, one of the what we would call the writings. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's where we get um, the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, Lord unto me. That's the, that's the theological core, right in the very middle. It's a very highly stylized uh, work and worth your time. Um, so he was called the weeping prophet because he lamented uh, the, fall, the moral and spiritual decay of Israel, but he was no pushover. Uh, he continued to preach faithfully, uh, though his message was essentially ignored. Uh, over 40 years, so he started, he was, um, he started before the exile, and, and then he preached into uh, the exile. Mostly, I, I think he stayed in Jerusalem. I don't think he was actually carted off to Babylon. In fact, I think he died in Egypt. Um, what we have for the book of Jeremiah is a piecemeal collection over those 40 years of preaching, uh, faithfully collected by his scribe, whose name was Baruch. Now, Baruch was, um, uh, was with Jeremiah the whole time. And I believe, now I'm not, I'm not super familiar with the apocryphal writings, which are part of, considered by the Roman Catholic Church to be part of the scripture, but I think Baruch is actually a, there's actually a book of Baruch. Is that, is that right in the, in the apocryphal writing? So um, that's, as far as I know, the same, same guy. The key themes, themes of Jeremiah are judgment and hope. Judgment and hope. God's judgment against sin, uh, massive Global sin, but also particular human sin uh, to individuals and also to the uh, of the chosen people, particularly unfaithfulness, uh, finding other idols, whether they be false gods or just things like money and power. Um, so judgment and then hope for a restored people of God. I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This is Jeremiah's uh, message: uh, hope of a restored people of God on an international level, not just the people uh, there in Israel, but an international level, a new covenant was going to be uh, restored. And we're going to talk about the new covenant, even though it's not prescribed by the E100. We'll talk about Jeremiah 34 a, a little bit. <clears throat> Jeremiah 1, so the reading prescribed is Jeremiah 1, 2, and the first part of Jeremiah 3. Uh, this is, Jeremiah 1 is the call of Jeremiah. And, um, and I want to just read a little bit you know, of that. I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version, but you may be reading from uh, some, some other version if you have it with you. But uh, you can turn on your, you should have a, a Bible app on your phone or your iPad or whatever you have. Uh, or you could actually bring your Bible to church. Um, <laughs> what? All right. Starting with um, the first three verses, just tell us kind of who Jeremiah was. He was, uh, he was, one of, he was a priest. But he was probably from a deposed, some, most scholars think he was from a deposed priestly lineage. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And remember, Benjamin stuck around with Judah, um, but early on, um, well, you can read it, it's, Solomon deposed that line. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. 
And the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth. That's, a, 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 that's an important uh, symbol of the prophets, the Lord touching the, their mouth as a symbol of saying, your mouth now belongs to me, essentially, is what, when that happens. We see that in Isaiah uh, as well and probably several others. Um, Touch my mouth. He said, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. That is an awful calling. Your whole ministry is going to be to pluck up and to break down, destroy and overthrow. In other words, you are not going to be popular. Right? And he was not. He was not. To build and to plant, well, that sounds uh, promising, but he, what he is essentially doing is he is uh, laying a foundation. He's planting seeds. And we are the beneficiaries now. So much of what we have is built on what Jeremiah uh, gave to us. Uh, but it, in an entry, we're, sometimes we're so afraid of the call of God on our life, aren't we? Um, and, you know, I've had people say, I'm not sure I want to become a Christian because I'm sure God's going to send me to Africa. <laughs> really, I hear people say, I mean, they're just like, they were just so afraid of what God was going to ask them to do. Uh, sometimes folks who have been, um, you know, long-time church members, they don't really, they avoid the questions of what am I called to because they're just afraid of what God might be calling us to. Now, most people aren't called to a... Um, uh, to a, a dramatic prophetic ministry like this, although in the interesting, when he puts up his protest, I can't do this. I'm like a teenager. What are you ta- talking about? And he says, "Don't say I'm too young." Say, what did he say? I'm with you, right? I'm with you. That's your whole. That's your whole deal. And if you remember Frank Limehouse, when I um, when I was um, instituted, Frank Limehouse gave the sermon, and this is essentially what he said. You're going to come up against serious doubts, Joe Gibbs. And he, <laughs> that was prophetic. Um, but, um, and it is not going to, that you're, it is not going to be uh, found in your own strength looking within you. You know, find the joy in your heart, the strength within, whatever. No, you appeal to the Lord who says, I am with you. That was it. Sissy, you were going to say something. I just have a cute story. Um, years ago, one of my neighbors who was a doctor got the call to be a missionary in Africa. And so uh, he went to seminary and everything, and the neighbors in the neighborhood were having a going away party. And he said, I need for all of y'all to pray for me. And his wife said, No, no, pray for me. I didn't get the call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Pray for her. Pray for Amy. Um, so then after so to this teenager God's saying I'm, I'm going to be with you but it's not saying and it's so it'll be fine it'll be easy like it, he's saying what the next the next whole chapter is the diagnosis of the sin of Israel and it is um, it is extraordinarily uh, confrontational and direct uh, my people have committed two evils this is verse 13 My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So, he's not saying two evils. They've forsaken me and they dug a bunch of holes in the ground. 
That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying they're putting their faith in things that will break, that will not hold water. So they've forsaken me, that's number one, and they have pursued other false gods. So a cistern, as you probably can imagine, it was a very dry and arid land. They, most people didn't live by a spring, and so they would have to build these big, uh, dig these big bottle-shaped holes in the ground into this, um, I can't remember what, the limestone, I think, and it would catch rainwater, and they would have other little trenches and stuff. Whenever it did rain, it would, it would fill up. That was their drinking water, I and mean, it was kind of yucky, but then a lot of times the limestone would crack, and um, and they would and their the water would just drain out, and then their family is living in a desert without water in this wilderness area, and it was very dangerous. And people would have immediately understood uh, that image, though they may not have immediately taken it to uh, their own faith. But we do that, all, don't we? I mean, we put our faith in things that don't hold water all the time, uh, all the time, um, and they are essentially. Uh, dry because they've um, they've changed their gods. This is another. Uh, let me see if I can. Uh, oh yeah, verse eleven. Has has a nation changed? This is incredulous. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. So you remember in John chapter seven, and Jesus stands up. On the last day of the feast, this is one of the, the, um, the he goes to Jerusalem several times. Uh, of course, the last time is the crucifixion, but he, um, so I guess a year ahead of that. He goes on the last day of the feast, the great day. Jesus stood up and cried out, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water." Jesus is saying that he is the cistern that holds water. He is the fulfillment of what God is sending to us. Now, we want to, as we have been going through the Old Testament, we want to teach you, how to read, teach you how to read that as Christian scripture. And so when we see things like this, the symbols of how um, Israel has broken faith with God, we want to look and see what has Jesus said that has um, corrected that, uh, that Jesus himself is the correction. And this is just one example uh, they, they're turning to cisterns. Um, they've hewed out for themselves cisterns that hold no water. And Jesus says, I am the fountain uh, of living water. So a few other important things that Jeremiah says uh, throughout uh, his ministry. Jeremiah 29 says, Seek the prosperity of the city uh, to which I have sent you. So he's talking to the exiles. And he doesn't say, get out of there. Or he doesn't say, huddle up. He says, seek their prosperity. In other words, just because you have your faith in your place doesn't mean that you can't be a blessing and actually, a, uh, by your lives, live a testimony to those around you. We're actually going to see that in Daniel in just a minute. Um, but it's a great call. A lot of folks have um, recently looked to that verse, Jeremiah 29, 7, um, and as a call to missionary work with, around us. Seek the prosperity of the city that, you, that I have sent you to. So for us, that would be Jacksonville. North St. John's County. See, we're seeking her good because if Jacksonville prospers, we all prosper, right? And it actually gives us an end to, uh, to build relationships and share God's good news. I want to also flip over to uh, a very uh, wonderful and precious passage, Jeremiah 31. Because I think that is theologically really significant uh, for us as Christians. 
beginning with verse 31 in Jeremiah chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's northern and southern kingdoms. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day where I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Forgiveness is the key to the new covenant. And how has God given, uh, forgiven us? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. He's given us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to write the law of God on our hearts so that our response is, um, our faithfulness is not the means by which we get God's favor, but a response to God's favor, which He has given us in Jesus. He has fulfilled this in Christ. Uh, the days are coming where I'm giving a new covenant. And every week when I, uh, in write two, actually write one and write two, but the write one language says, this is the, my body of the new testament, word testament and the word covenant are the same word. And in right two we say, this is my body which is given to you, the new covenant. Uh, No, blood. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you. My blood of the new testament which is shed for you. For the forgiveness of sins. Right? So, uh, that's what we we say. The, um, this is his blood of the new covenant. This is fulfilled in Christ. Jeremiah is pointing us ahead. Judgment and hope. There is a problem, and I'm going to be the one to fix the problem. You cannot solve the problem that you have created by your unfaithfulness. I'm going to solve this problem. How does he do that? He solves it uh, in Jesus. That's Jeremiah. Yes, very quickly. Um, If he's going to put himself into us, does that account for those that are even non-believers? The question is, um, if he is going to put his spirit within us, does that account for those who are not believers? That's a complicated, it's not a black or white answer. I think that what he is saying is, you will follow me because I have put my spirit in you. Your faith is a gift. You believe because he has put his spirit in you. We don't know when he's going to put his spirit in. You know, so you might say, um, well, I don't that's actually so. It's just it's a little. It's a little too big to answer with the time we've got. But I think that the answer is yes. He has called all humanity to himself. Those who have um, shunned that—that that is, uh, um, his spirit is not in them. So that, I think I think that's it. But don't don't be despairing. We don't ever know when the Lord is going to work. Daniel, let's move to Daniel. So Daniel was brought to Babylon as a young man after the siege of Jerusalem. Uh, he was um, it, it lived a remarkable life because again he wasn't just a prisoner he was being assimilated and Daniel was recognized for his uh, extraordinary leadership and intellect which the Bible very clearly says uh, God laid upon him so God made him uh, gave him favor in the eyes of, first of Nebuchadnezzar then of Bel. Belteshazzar, I think is how it is, and then of um, Darius. So he actually spanned three kings, 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of, of uh, Babylon, Belteshazzar, the uh, successor to Nebuchadnezzar, overthrown by Darius the Mede, um, and, uh, and Daniel found favor with him uh, as well. Um, again, what we see there is not Daniel standing on the... Um, he, he's not a prophet in the sense he's calling all of Babylon. He's not like Jonah, where he's calling all of Nineveh to repent, right? Um, he is, he's not calling Babylon to repent. He is simply living a faithful life where he is. It's a great example for all of us and allowing God to work in him. Now, I don't expect that the Holy Spirit is going to put himself upon you or upon me the way that he did upon Daniel. He might. I'd love it. Wouldn't that be amazing? And if he does, you get to be the rector. Um, that would be fine. Um, <laughs> gladly. Um, the, um, we want to see God working in us uh, and around us. But he's a remarkable example of Jeremiah 29 uh, in action, seeking the prosperity of the city. Um, and God uses him mightily to bring Nebuchadnezzar to faith. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the one who said, um, you got to bow down to me. And he, and he and his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not. And so Nebuchadnezzar gets furious and he throws him in the furnace and cranks it up so hot that the people who threw him in the furnace get burned up. But they're walking around, and there's a fifth one in there. And a lot of people say that's Jesus. And, um, and so uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually comes to faith. And then he actually has a time of um, psychological insanity. And he comes, comes back and, um, and gives himself, in, in, in clarity and lucidity at the end, gives himself to, to the God of Israel. It's pretty, a pretty remarkable thing, and, and Daniel uh, is an important part of that. Then he is, um, he's the one, when we say, oh, I can see the handwriting on the wall, that's from Daniel. Uh, there's a handwriting on the wall to Belteshazzar, I never can say that name, and um, the, who is the king that succeeded Nebuchadnezzar. And they're bringing Daniel to interpret the writing, and he says, tough luck, you're going to die very soon, and he dies that night. And Darius comes in, and Darius... Uh, makes him one of his three presidents over over the governors, uh, and and they get real jealous about Daniel and how wonderful he is, and they try to find some way to uh, put him out, and they can't find anything. Finally, they say it's it's going to have to be something to do with the faith in his God, because he's a foreigner, and so we're going to find that. So they say, "Oh, Darius, you are so great. Wouldn't it be? I tell you what, would be great, uh, Darius." Why don't you make a law that nobody can worship anybody except for you? Because you are so great. And Darius goes, that sounds like a great idea. And, um, and, and so he writes it into law. And of course they sneak up. Daniel's like, well, I mean, I'm just going to do like I always have done. I'm going to open my window up facing Jerusalem. And I'm going to kneel down three times uh, during the day. And they, the satraps, the governors, they find him doing that and they go tell Darius and he's like, oh, I've got to figure out a way to get out of this because I love Daniel, but even the king can't, you know, once it's signed into law, so they throw him into the lion's den and, and Darius says, I hope your God saves you and seals it up, seals up the, the cave and the lions are sitting in his lap the next morning, right? And just, you know, purring, you know, belly rub and, um, and then um, he comes out and then finally, since he survives, Darius gives himself to the faith of, of uh, Daniel's God, 
and and in the name of that God throws all the other satraps in with the lions and their families and they all get killed. So um, so that's actually the tame part of, of Daniel. Um, the uh, it, it, That's Daniel 6 and, and Daniel in the lion's den is a remarkable thing. Again, uh, the judgment of the law uh, said that he had to be punished and God saved him from that judgment. It wasn't the law of God, it was the law of, of the land. Uh, and yet we can see again that fulfilled in Christ, God, uh, our, our judgment is due to us and God himself saves us from that judgment through the work of Christ. Um, the, that's the first half of Daniel. Is, are just narrative stories that you find in Sunday school a lot of times. Um, I am not crazy about the dare to be a Daniel uh, line. We hear that if you listen on the radio and hear preachers, you hear a lot, dare to be a Daniel, you know, have the faith. Again, Daniel was amazed at what God did around him. Uh, God was not uh, affected by Daniel's faith. Daniel's faith was affected by God. And so if if you are going to dare to be a Daniel, which is, I know what they mean, live your faith in a world that doesn't share your faith. But all Daniel did was open himself up to the work of the Spirit, and the Spirit decided uh, to work through Daniel in a really remarkable way. So, open yourself to the Spirit, like Daniel, I think. But I, whenever, you know, it's impossible to hear dare to be a Daniel without wanting to run through a wall for Jesus. So, um, you don't have to do that. You just have to be open. He'll run through the wall for you. The second half of Daniel is the apocalyptic side of Daniel. This is the crazy stuff. This is where we see the beat, the four beasts, and they have a million eyes, and there's a little goat with a a, a horn, and and all of this is is these are prophetic future um, prediction writings. Daniel has these visions. He actually gets visited by the angel Gabriel, the same Gabriel that comes to see Mary. Uh, really remarkable stuff. Very strange. A lot of it is repeated, essentially, and informs the book of Revelation. Uh, it's, it's really uh, remarkable. I would very much encourage you to read it. but Don't read it expecting that you will just get it. But again, the study Bible will help you because a lot of the prophetic future-oriented writings were already, have already been fulfilled and were fulfilled before the time of Christ. They were talking about Alexander the Great. And if you line up Daniel's predictions and the events that came about with uh, Rome and Greece and, and all of the sort of political turmoil that happened around Alexander the Great, it lines up perfectly. And so what we see, uh, that there is, even though... Uh, it's just our own sort of orientation. If he's talking about the future, he must be talking about what has not happened yet. But actually, no, it happened even before the time of Christ. It was just future to, to Daniel. Now, you can imagine many folks, so it's, uh, skeptical scholars, have looked at Daniel and said, well, it was written. He, he couldn't have predicted that with such accuracy, so he has to. it was written around the time of Alexander the Great as if it were written uh, predicting it ahead of time. I understand why they think that, but I don't agree. I think that it was written when it says it was written in, in, during the exile in Babylon, predicting that which was to come. Because God is look, he, he was a, a truth teller. And that's what Daniel uh, was seeing. So Dan, the writings of, of Daniel, the visions of Daniel, are startling 
but are helpful. And there, but you can imagine that there is incredible disparity among uh, scholars and theologians uh, who look at the and try to find interpretation. So read your study Bible about it and just say, Lord, I trust you with this, and then I'm going to keep going. So um, th- that's really what I have to say about Daniel. But I, I really um, encourage you to read these, these prophets. We haven't touched on Ezekiel at all. And, um, and Ezekiel, I think, is some of the, for me, the most intimidating scripture. But it's scripture. Like, read, read it. Get, get to, use, have your study Bible and, and read it. Talk about it with your friends. Um, but it's, it's a, again, remarkable stuff, but just intimidating because it's, it's, uh, it's dark in a good way. <laughs> Questions. Questions about these major prophets or comments. Yes, Charlene. I have a question. Great. When, um, when Jesus was preaching in the temple, or he was preaching to a, a group of just average people, and he was making references, like you were just discussing the cistern yes. reference, did the people, were they educated enough that they recognized these references? Like... I would imagine that the scholars and the Jewish priests would have recognized the, the references. But how about just the average people? Were they, you know, were they in tune to what, did they recognize what he was saying? So the question is, did the average Pusiter, uh recognize what Jesus was saying in terms of the, um, his references to the Old Testament? Now, of course, I can't say, answer that with precision. Uh, but I think the answer is is they would have had far more uh, acumen than we have about those stories now because they didn't have television. <laughs> they, they, they were an oral tradition culture, and there it was ingrained in them to memorize stories to pass on to one another. Now, they had the written copies, so they, they had a, a check. It wasn't like the telephone game, you know, but they um, – but it was uh, – it. I would say yes, much more than we would expect in our culture. So um, you might think, well, God, I kind of remember Daniel and the Lions then, but we hadn't heard about that story in a long time. Uh, they would have, uh, it would have just, it's a different, they, they tapped a different port, part of their brain. I mean, they just had it because of their oral tradition. That, that's my best answer to that. I think they, um, but of course, and the, the other reason I think that they did understand is because it got Jesus killed. Like, if they didn't understand what Jesus was saying, and he says, I'm the living water, well, that's kind of weird, like, you know, move on. But it's because they understood what he was saying that they got so upset. So do you think the priest kind of got, understood the significance, and they kind of spread the word to the common people? Or do you think the common people said, hey, this guy is dangerous? Uh, probably both and, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Other questions? Thank you for bringing that question right to, to Jesus and not just about the prophets. Of Jesus' parables, when he spoke to the common people, were in language that they would understand from their daily life and work that they did. Mm-hmm. But his, his speakings when there were priests and Sadducees around may have been a little bit more high level right. because of their background. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so Katie said that, that um, some of them, uh, a lot of times Jesus didn't, didn't reference the Old Testament as much when he was talking to the, the common folks. 
That's a good point. That's a good point. Other questions about the major prophets? Are you willing to give it a shot? To try? Yeah, yeah, some of you have many times, but some of you, when I asked last week, who's read the prophets? Not many hands went up. And so I would just really encourage you and just, just to give it a shot. Read a chapter or two uh, every day and uh, go through Isaiah or go through some of the others. No, just read the introduction in your study Bible or online or however, and then um, and you'll see. Every time I read through them, I understand more. That's right. Every time I understand, I understand more. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Let's go to church. Bless you.